Hello and welcome to the Albion Obsessed podcast. You join us after our yearly victory against West Ham at the Amex. But before we get into what has become a bit of a procession um, whenever we play against West Ham, let's see who we've got on the show today. We welcome Joe. Joe, my friends, how are you doing? Hello, mate. Oh, absolutely bloody fantastic after yesterday. It's been such a fantastic weekend. Um, I'm on cloud nine, um, could even be cloud 10 maybe even 11. I don't know. I'm just very happy, Tom. How are you? you that, there's some pretty high high clouds there, Joe. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all well. Thank you, mate. Doing very well. As you say, the football yesterday was it was majestic and it's put me in a very good mood too. Uh, we also welcome back Curtis Friend. Curtis, how are you doing, my friend? I mean, grand. Um, just to echo a lot of what you, you both were saying there, I'm just feeling very, very good, very positive, uh, very, very happy, and I'm looking forward to discussing the game last night. Yeah, it's always um, good fun to come on a pod after we've won, but not only after we've won, but when we've won so convincingly. Um, and of course, we'll we'll dive into all of that in a minute, but there's some pretty important pre-match stuff we've got to talk about. The first of which, Joe, is the news that Moises Caicedo, a man who we were all, perhaps even still are, convinced is going to be off in the summer, has signed a brand new contract. Now, I was really surprised to hear this, especially after everything that happened in January, and even more so that apparently this new contract does not have a release clause, which is massive. Joe, do you think this is um, Moises committing his long-term future to the club, or do you think this is a way of the club ensuring they get a sizable transfer fee if and when Moises departs? I think it covers all bases. I think it it puts the club in a really strong position, obviously. Um, The fact that they've added a clause at the end of the contract to have the option of an extra year, that might tell you that maybe he is committing his long-term future to the club. Um, But I don't know if that's just in there, if he runs the contract down and we say, oh, let's... Let's not let him go for free. A little bit like a Basuma situation, uh, but that's a long way in the future. Um, But as I say, it puts us in a really strong position. If anyone comes in for him in in the summer, it's going to be astronomical to to prize him away. Um, Thank God he's not on his £3.50 and a packet of crisps anymore. Uh, Probably more like £10 a week, which is is brilliant for the young lad. Um, But it it must be a sizable deal, Tom, to, to... for, for that turnaround of uh, shifting mentality, I guess, um, it's clear that he was wrongly advised by his agents to put up a state uh, statement like that. Every, every single person in the footballing world thought he was gone at that point. And here he is playing probably one of his best games I've seen him play. So he's clearly still committed. Um, and it's just really, really fantastic. And, and how good it was, Curtis, that we got to react to it live on Friday when we did a little live stream. Um, and we put out our, our reaction video on, on social media, which was uh, greatly received. And yeah, like how lucky we were. Like, it's just mind blowing. I'm still mind blown by it, Tom. It's, it's as I say, puts us in such a strong position and um, also tells the other players that we mean business here. It certainly does, Joe. I mean, as I say, it was a huge surprise, really came out of left field. And Curtis, do you think that the upward trajectory of the club, the fact that we're fighting for Europe, will be a big uh, point for Moises to say, you know what, we've got 
lofty ambitions. Stay with us and let's see what we can achieve. Yeah, I think it will be a. Um, it will be. They were like that for most of the players, you know, the ones that are nearing their at the end of their contracts and maybe thinking about moving on. But, you know, I think we have real ambition for this European run that you know that we we so crave, um, and I think that was uh, a huge a huge thing as to why Moises decided to sign back on because that seems doable and definitely possible this season. So, you know, to have him along for the ride is is fantastic. It certainly is, and I know we'll talk about it in more depth in a short while. But as you've said, Joe, Moises Caicedo's performance yesterday was, um, you know, people often talk about Declan Rice being, you know, a world-class centre midfielder. Only once, well, I would say two centre midfielders looked world-class on that pitch yesterday, and one of them was Moises Caicedo, and the other one also did not play for West Ham. Um, but more on that in a little bit. Let's talk about the starting eleven then, Joe, because there was a big shock Um or was it a shock, really, Joe? Let's talk about Jason Steele. Um, Robert Sanchez has kept nets for Brighton since the dropping of Matty Ryan, what, two, three years ago now? Our time blurs into one. Um, Ryan, you know, Ryan departed. Sanchez was number one. You know, that was it. And now Roberto De Zerbi seems to have flipped that on its head. Uh, Jason Steele has performed really well for us in the Cup. He's been a fantastic servant for the club. He did an interview um, a few weeks ago when he renewed his contract and he said even though he was in his you know 30s he was still learning things under Roberto De Zerbi and he's played um, his second Premier League game now um, but how surprised were you to see Jason Steele on the team sheet for a Premier League game? Yeah I think I'm probably going to give you quite a boring answer here Tom and I, I do apologise viewers but I honestly think that the only people that think is a bold call is us us fans Roberto De Zerbi sees them every single day in training. He knows what he's doing. He know he knows who suits his play more. And that was the the comment that came out after the game that Jason is closer to to how Roberto wants to play. Um, and if that is the case, and that he's performing well, it's the same as any other position. If you're not, if you're underperforming, if if there's some unhappiness from the manager towards how you're holding yourself on the football pitch, and it's not to say that Robert uh, Robert Sanchez has been rubbish because he hasn't. Um, but if the manager decides he wants to play you, he's going to play you. Um, and as I say, that the only person or people that think it's going to be a big call is us because it, it is um, sort of unpredictable or, or, or surprising. But Roberto De Zerbi knows his squad, and, and I think that's really important. Curtis, were you surprised? Um Yes and no. I mean, I, I feel like he's been playing very well, and I thought, I actually thought it would be a matter of time before he was rewarded f for the efforts that he puts in, because every time we hear Roberto speak of him, he speaks incredibly highly of him. Um, so I, I, I thought, to be honest, there would be maybe. I, I didn't think it would be like a West Ham. I thought maybe it'd be like a like a Bournemouth or a Nottingham or one of those other teams. Um, but I'm so happy he got his chance, and he, he did so so well. Uh, and in the words of the 19, uh, 1980s heavy metal band Saxon, he has wheels of steel. Very good, very good. We will, of course, talk about uh, Jason Steele a bit more um, as the podcast goes on. Um, but there was also another special mention we need to talk about in the starting eleven, and that was Adam Webster, Joe, getting his 100th Premier League appearance for Brighton. Um, he's had a bit of a sort of up-and-down career at Brighton so far, been 
blighted by injuries quite a bit. Um, but his form recently is starting to get back to what we saw around Christmas last season, where he was almost undroppable. Um, what have you made of Webster's Brighton career so far? I love Adam Webster. Um, for, for all of the turmoil he's gone through like on the pitch where, where he's not been performing very well and people have got on his backs and to come back and perform like that against West Ham yesterday and, and even in recent games where he's played, I think he's been fully back to his best. And I really hope we see that because a, a fully fit flying Adam Webster and Lewis Dunk together, um, you know, <laughs> attacks are, are going to really struggle uh, to, to get to get through us. Um, and it showed yesterday. Um, there was a, a few times that he, he put a tackle on Danny Ings. There was one really strong tackle on Danny Ings where he wins the ball and it sort of uh, shook Danny Ings up a little bit. And, and we were all worried about the Danny Ings hoodoo against Brighton. Um, and I think that probably was in the minds of the players as well. And Adam Webster's put one on Danny Ings and he's been out of the game uh, for, for the whole game and, and fully in Adam Webster's pocket. And I think that goes to prove how good Adam Webster can be. Um, and we're very lucky to have a player like him that's so committed to the football club um, and local lad as well, Sussex lad. Um, to 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 be to be at Brighton must be really really nice for him. Um, to to be in and around um where where he grew up. I know obviously Chichester and Brighton are, are far from each other, but still still Sussex. So yeah, um, f- fully deserved for a hundred appearances. Um, and let's hope for a hundred more. Definitely, definitely. I was um, a little surprised that Van Heck didn't get the call after his um performance against Stoke because I thought he did very very well. Um and. Kind of mentioning Van Heck there, Curtis, when everyone is fit, obviously Levi Colwell currently out with an injury. Um, when all four centre-backs are fit, who is your preferred duo at the back? I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Dunk is a, a guarantee. But who would you partner next to? Would you take the left foot of Levi Colwell or would you uh, be more inclined for a Webster or a Van Heck? It, it depends, really. If, I mean, if Webster can keep up the swarm that he's on, then I feel like he has to stay. Um, but it's going to be it's going to be tricky. And I mean, I know that uh, Deservey said he wants to give Cole Wilson time in the under twenty ones just to get his match fitness up. And I feel like that would be really important for him. And there's reports that we want to we we want to get Colwell. Um, I, I know that much. And he, even if that is just on another year um, or whatever. But uh, I feel like. You know, Deserby wants to use him, and um, like I said, it all depends on form. But you know, I'd like I'd like to see Cole will get some game time in in the in the league as well. But again, I feel like we should stick stick with Webster whilst he's on good form. No arguments there. No arguments there. Um, so the match begins. Um, I think it was a bit of a sloppy opening, maybe 10 minutes with from both sides. Um, you know, Joe, we talked about in the Stoke game about miss hit passes, and some of that did start to feed in to the opening 10 minutes or, or so. Um, and it, it was, a, it was a, I suppose, the first 20 minutes wasn't quintessential Brighton. Um, and one of the biggest talking points of that 20 minutes was the unfortunate injury to Tarek Lamptey. Um, how disappointing was it to see Tarek go off so early in the game? Yeah, it, it was disappointing. I, I can't even remember what actually happened to him. Did he just pull up or was there a clash? Um, I'm not sure. I can't remember off the top of my head. I think there was a slight clash and mm. um, he went down and he just he, he, he gestured to the bench to say he couldn't continue. Yeah, it looked like he was touching his knee as well. 
Um, so I guess that the promising sign is, is that he wasn't holding the back of his hamstring um, because that's that's the issue that um, that was there that kept him out for so long. Uh, so hopefully it's not too bad and hopefully he just felt himself and thought, right, I, I, I need to take myself off as a, as a precaution. Um, but always going to see Tarek Lamptey go off. I absolutely love him. Um, and we spoke about whether you choose Lamptey or do you choose Veltman uh, in the group chat yesterday. Um, it's so good to have that that option. Um, and, and they both bring something different to the side. And um, I, I thought Tarek Lamptey was doing okay up until he went off. It's not much of a, a period of time in the game to go off of. Um, but I thought he would have had a really good game if he did carry on. But um Good for him to to say, look, I I can't carry on, and and let's let's get myself checked out. Yeah, definitely. And then, where do you stand on this, Curtis? Um, you know, I put on the group chat, and I'll say it here: I don't I don't rate Tarek as an out and out right back. I think he's a fantastic wing back um, because he's got that electric pace that can get him forward. Um, as a wing back, obviously, in a back three, you have that cover. Um, I don't know if it's just because obviously a Stupinian on the left loves to get forward and a Stupinian's in just ridiculously good form at the moment. Um, but I always feel a little bit more secure with Veltman playing at right back because maybe he's got that more defensive nous than uh, than Tarek does. Um, so where do you stand um, in our right back situation? It's, I suppose it's a, a good headache to have whether you choose Tarek or Veltman. But if you, Curtis Friend, had to choose to start in a back four, both being fit, who would you go for? Um, I think I'd go Veltman every time, if I'm brutally honest. Um, love Tarek, but I, I completely agree with you. I don't think he suits that left-back thing. Um, I just feel a lot more comfortable when we have Veltman back there. Like I'm never in any sort of worry. Um, he's just always in control and stuff, so... like. I, I was not worried as when, when Tarek went off. I knew that Veltman would put in such a great shift. So, you know, but like you say, it's really good to 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 have that thing where you're like, oh, I don't know who to choose, but they're both so good. And But yeah, I think for me, Veltman every time. I think the yeah. great thing with Veltman as well, Tom, is his versatility. And if he's playing um, in that back four, then the Stupinian can move forwards in, into a wing back position. We can operate a back three if needs be. And Solly can drop into wing back at, 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 on the right hand side. So um, I think given that he offers so much more tactically, again, nothing against Tarek, but we know that he's very much sort of a one type player. Um I, I I would agree with Curtis that it, it would need to be Veltman every time and get that man on a new deal right now, please. Yes, please. Brighton have Albin. That would be lovely. He's an absolutely fantastic player. And um, just one last thing. I mean, I don't want to slate Tarek because obviously we know how good he can be. Um, it's just in a back four. I've said it before. Um, I do think that when he goes forward, he tries to operate in the same sort of air of the pitch as Solly March, and which means Solly's not performing at his best. And we've seen just how dangerous Solly March can be. I mean, yesterday, Joe, he had our first real chance on goal. He just wriggled through the West Ham defence as if they weren't even there. And he got a shot away on his weaker foot. I mean, how much were you willing to for Solly to get that goal? Well, the people around me were going, pass it, pass it, pass it, pass it. And then he just does what he does and I was thinking yep yeah, that's what Solly does this season um, do not underestimate Solly March um, and I saw a, a tweet earlier that um, if Gareth Southgate for some reason doesn't pick Lewis Dunk and Solly March in the next England squad then I, I really really do have no idea what he's watching because um, 
you talk of like Jared Bowen has been in the bloody England squad before. If Jared Bowen can get in the England squad, based on what I saw yesterday, Solly March should be in there every single time. And he is in the form of his life. And, and that continues yesterday. I was so worried when he when he uh, went down injured a couple of times. Um, I was thinking maybe has he come back too early? Um, but he carried on. He played, what, 80-odd minutes-ish? Um, so, yeah, f- another fantastic performance from Solly. And... Um, to to have that front three of Matoma, Ferguson and Solly March, uh, they are leading us to Europe. So get yourselves down to the passport office. I don't know if you can go to the passport office, but get online, get get your passport renewed because we're going on a European tour. I do hear it's actually cheaper online than it is going down to the post office. I think you do it to the post office, but apparently it's cheaper online. So, you know, the more you know. Um yeah, I think in quickly in regards to Sonny March for England, he does have a slight perhaps advantage in that he has played for Southgate before at youth level, I believe. Um, so that could possibly factor in. Um, but no, 100%. He's in the form of his life. He's had more take-ons than I think any other player in the Premier League. I think Marcus, him and Marcus Rash, Rashford are pretty neck and neck at the top of that list. But Tom, um, I, thought, I thought that he wasn't even League One level. Apparently not. Um, I think when I mean, we, we've said it so many times on this podcast, Solly March under Roberto De Zerbi is a different animal um, and long, long, long may it continue. And he had a big, big contribution to our what led to our first goal. But before we even get on to the penalty, let's talk about the interplay. Um, because I one of the first things I said when we started talking about the game was, oh, it didn't it didn't seem like a quintessential Deserby performance. But you want to talk about quintessential Deserby? The build up to that penalty, my goodness, the the the, the play at the back was ridiculous. Steel defenders, the midfield, it was it was beautimous. It was just oh, it was lovely. I mean, some of the we will talk about it, but some of the football we saw yesterday, oh damn. It was beautiful. So the interplay that led up to March's cross, just chef's kiss, because it was it was delightful. And then Solly March cuts in, puts the cross in to Matoma. The West Ham defender completely makes a hash of it. Matoma comes into the box and Bowen bowls into the back of him going down. Curtis, never in doubt, even though the West Ham players did appeal somewhat, but a stonewall penalty. I mean, as you say, it was just bellissimo, Thomas, bellissimo. It was wonderful, like everything. I mean, Steele's distribution yesterday was fantastic, by the way. Um, but yeah, as you say, we, we, a lot of the fan base are so quick to focus on just the, the, the singular act. But you have to look, just the passage of play, as you said, was mesmerising at times yesterday. Oh, it was fantastic, but... Yeah, we did everything right, and that was just a stonewall pen. I don't know what what people were complaining about. I suppose from a West Ham's perspective, you've kind of got to complain on the very slight off chance that the referee might change their mind. I suppose if you don't complain, the ref's like, yeah, they know they've done wrong. Yeah, but hear me out, hear me out. Yeah. They're wrong. Yeah, I mean, mean, really quickly on the ref, Joe, because I think the only time I'm going to mention the ref today... um, I said in the group chat, I've just realised something. This is the first time in weeks we're not going to be talking about a terrible refereeing performance. Joe, ref got everything right yesterday. 
Yeah, when 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 they get it right, they deserve the praise. Um, and you know, we're, we're not sat here to talk about refereeing performances. We're sat here to talk about Brighton and Albion Football Club. Um, and the the perfect refereeing performance is when you don't even notice they're on the pitch. And that was exactly that yesterday. Uh, the 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 fourth official, the linesman, that they they got everything spot on. So yep, yeah, fair play to them. And that's the only mention they're going to get, which shows the sign of a good officiating performance. Um, Joe. I've got a bit of a um, a bit of a worry. Um, whenever Brighton step up to take a penalty, I almost have to like look away um, because I don't feel confident. Um, but Alexis McAllister, who is now I think I believe four for four this season, steps up and he puts in an absolute beauty of a penalty. Um, the first goal he has scored in the league um, since returning from the World Cup. How happy do you think he'll be with getting back on the score sheet? Yeah, um, exactly what he needed, I think. Um, the last couple of um, games, he's, he's been close to scoring, uh, especially against Palace. Uh, he, had, he had so many chances that he should have killed that game by himself. He probably should have got five, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, let's hope he can get five uh, when we played him in a few days' time. Um, but yeah, no, perfect from Alexis. Um, exactly what you want, composure. If you want composure, you want a man that's won the World Cup uh, several months ago. Um, so yeah, perfect from him. Um, and Really, when he was stepping up, there wasn't any doubt in my mind he was smashing that ball into the back of the net. Um, easy for me to say that now that he did score it, obviously. I was praying at the time that it went in, but I, I was confident. And uh, yeah, really good for him. And hopefully he can push on. Yeah, very much so. Um, I think that's his eighth goal this season, um, which is fantastic. I mean, recently, recent seasons, I should say, um, we have struggled to score goals from over the pitch. So a really good uh, goal return so far from Alexis. Um, so let's swap then to the other end of the pitch then, Curtis, because um, I think on the rare occasion that West Ham did uh, go forward in that first half, they didn't actually have a shot in the second half, I believe. Um, but in the first half, Jason Steele had to make, uh, you know, two Quick, quick saves. Uh, West Ham broke with pace, which was probably their only um, their only danger that they carried. Um, but Jason Steele, alert to the danger, makes two fine saves with his feet. Um, just how much confidence will that give him? I mean, we'll, we'll say, you know, keeping a clean sheet in what it was his only his second league game for the club um, must make a huge, huge impact on his confidence moving forward. Absolutely, it's just going to push him and 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 drive him to do uh, better. Um, and like I've, I've seen a lot of people online, sort of worried about sort of Sanchez's mentality after this and whatnot. I think healthy competition is a very very good thing. And I think if this is going to push Sanchez to be better and vice versa, you know, that pushing each other, I think this is just going to be a fantastic thing. And again, um, what a position we're in where your manager's like, oh, they're both really good. Who do I choose? You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I'm so happy for him. I'm so immensely proud of him to see how far he's come. And, yeah, yeah, I hope to see him in more games. Anyone yeah. worried about how Sanchez reacts? you just got to watch the footage on online of um, after the game. Um, there, there was a really nice moment where Jason Steele and Robert Sanchez embrace um, at, at the full-time whistle. Um, and that shows the goalkeeper's union. They talk about it so much. Um, it's been spoken about by so many goalkeepers that we've had before, David Stockdale, Matty Ryan, um, and, and that seems to be the case now. Um, and I've got a theory about Jason Steele. He only plays league games against uh, clubs in Claret and Blue. His last Chris, one was Villa. Villa. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, 
just really quickly, I mean, talking about ancient history, one of the things that fans were very critical of in the Matty Ryan era was that he didn't have any competition at the time. Obviously, it was Ryan, Button and Steele. Obviously, Steele's now vying for the gloves um, in well into his 30s. Um, it, so, you know, that was the criticism that Matty Ryan never had any real competition and it, and it made him sloppy. Um, and you could say that perhaps of... Um, of Bobby Sanchez um, because perhaps Potter didn't rate uh, Jason Steele um, very much. And as we say, you know, Sanchez hasn't been terrible by any stretch, but obviously he is prone to a mistake occasionally. Obviously we dropped points because of a clanger a few weeks ago. I mean, these things happen as goalkeepers. We understand they do, but when other players across the pitch put in poor performances, they often get dropped because you have other midfielders, other defenders, other wingers who can kind of step up and take take their place. Um, and I think Brighton have not had that in the goalkeeping department. So it's, as you say, Curtis, it's good to breed competition. And hopefully both Steele and Sanchez will now up their game. Because if Jason Steele now feels that actually, yeah, I can compete for the gloves, that will make him push. And if Robert Sanchez feels like he's actually got competition, then he'll hopefully go, I need to keep pushing. Um, so it'll be a really interesting discussion to have at the end of the podcast who we feel keeps the gloves for the next match. But more Can on I that... Just, um, just point out Jason Steele's mentality, Tom. Um, a guy that went through a really, really rough time at Sunderland. Um, if you haven't watched the Sunderland Till I Die podcast, there's a lot on Jason Steele on that if you want to learn more about the man. Um, but what, how's, how long has he been with us? Four seasons? Three and a half seasons, maybe? Correct me in the comments if you do know. Um, but as you say, like he was behind David Button at one point. Um, he was behind uh, Tim Krull. He probably thinking that there's no way that I'm going to get the gloves here. That and to to keep like to to stay at the club, and now to be 32 years old, literally fighting for your chance to play, possibly in a really good run in the FA Cup as well as the league with a team fighting for Europe. What a change around for Jason Steele. And it's such a refreshing thing to listen to him talk after the matches as well. The man is so real. He wears his heart on his sleeve and it's exactly what you want as a fan from a, from a player to go through their exact feelings on the football pitch. And he does that perfectly. Um, and we are very lucky to have a guy like him at our football club. Yeah. Couldn't agree more, couldn't agree more. Um, one last thing I want to talk about, um, just as we round off the half, I suppose. Um, Joe, you mentioned at the top of the show that Danny Ings, who do, Danny Ings loves to score against us. Um, and it did look like he might get a chance yesterday, but it was a great uh, covering tackle from Webster. We talked about Webster at the top of the show. We talked about him putting in really good performances, Curtis. Um, so, you know, Adam Webster, you know, stopping our arch nemesis, Danny Ings, um, to round off the half, going in uh, at 1-0. Big performance there, big tackle. Yeah, I mean, Adam, Adam Webster was a shaman yesterday. He exercised that that hoodoo on, on out there. Like, I was I was so happy to see him do really really well because, as we mentioned, he's been a bit shaky at times. Um, but uh, yeah, he seems like he's doing good, and I'm 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 so happy that we um, basically made Danning's a ghost yesterday. Otherwise, so more of that, please. Yeah, I mean. Whew. 
the Danny Ings hoodoo is real. And we said, we joked before about it, it was the Danny Ings hoodoo versus the fact that we never lose to West Ham, which one was going to win. Um, and thankfully it went in our favour. I mean, so Joe, you were in the stands. Um, we went in at halftime 1-0. Um, a lot of the, the chatter on socials around that time was surely West Ham can't be that bad in the second half. Um, was there a lot of confidence in the stands or was there still a, a sense of we need to get another one here? Yeah, before I talk about my feelings at halftime, I'll just talk to you about exactly how bad West Ham were. Um, we've spoken about Declan Rice already. Uh, me and my dad got back in the car, parked at the university car park, um, and he goes, so Declan Rice injured at the moment. So I was thinking, oh, he thinks he's playing with an injury because he had a poor performance. And I said, well, no, he's he's okay. And he went, oh, well, where was he then? I said, Daddy was on the pitch. But he literally didn't notice Declan Rice on the pitch. Um, and to be honest, that was the feeling at half time. It was, look, these are there for the taking. They have been so poor. Yeah, they have had a couple of flurries forward, but nothing really that that panicked us. Um, and as soon as I come back to Jason Steele, as soon as he made that first save, the confidence in the stands just went up. Um, and, and that was so important for him to, to get that first touch and to get that first save. And it probably made the back four feel a bit more confident as well. And the confidence was just growing and growing and growing. Um, and the confidence grows even more when you score from a corner. Yeah. yeah. Brighton and Ove Albion, do not adjust your headsets. Brighton and Ove Albion scored from a corner. Yes, the second half uh, started just as the first half ended. It It genuinely felt sometimes like it was Brighton playing with 11 and West Ham were playing with 10. They were chasing shadows. Uh, West Ham were just uh, appalling. Let's put it out there. That's not to take away from how good we were because we made them look appalling. And as we talk about just really briefly, Declan Rice, you know, people often laud him as a hundred million pound midfielder, one of the best in the league. But actually it was Moises Caicedo, Alexis McAllister that bossed that game. Um, and they changed shape. They went from a double pivot to a single pivot back to a double. And West Ham just didn't know how to cope with that. Um, but let's talk about this corner that Joe's just alluded to. Curtis, we have to. T- it was it was a, it was lovely to score from a corner, and I'm so glad that Joel Veltman uh, managed to score a goal because he doesn't score many, and he scores with his chest, which was beautiful. But let incidentally, I, I don't wanna... the last time Veltman scored was against West Ham. Well, there you go. Another lovely little factoid. Um, and I don't want to take anything away because it was a lovely corner, great flick on from Alexis McAllister, but how bad was that defending? Veltman's right on the keeper and the keeper's just letting it happen. And the defender hasn't, it's just, it's just, it's just no one near him. And don't get me wrong, I'm really glad that we scored that goal because obviously scoring from a corner, hooray. But that that defending, that was Sunday league defending. That was oh, awful. I tell, I tell you what. Uh, like, because I I couldn't watch the game because for some reason we're not allowed to watch games at three p.m. in the UK, um, so I had to watch it afterwards. Um, but I saw I saw it and I was like, they do know he's there, don't they? They do know that Veltman stood stood right there, and I was like, there's literally nobody around him. And then just to see Veltman do this, and then that, I was like, are you joking me? Are you actually joking me? Um, I was one. I was just so immensely happy for him. Two, I was like flabbergasted because when when I first heard it, I, I was like, I was like, we got a got a goal from a corner. I was like, no, no, we don't. Come on, no way, no. Um, but I, yeah, I couldn't have been happier. Um, I feel like that will that will be very helpful for them in the long run as well because it's been something that we struggled with 
even though clearly, you know, we're training at them. It's just they're not, they've not been paying off. So hopefully we'll get more of those soon. Fingers crossed. I mean, so we banished the Danny Ings hoodoo. We've uh, exercised the scoring from a corner hoodoo. So that's a, that's a step in the right direction. Um, the second half, Joe, we'll, I mean, we'll discuss it at the end because I'm going to ask you a question about the second half. But we talk about Deserby Ball. It was just, it was just beautiful, absolutely beautiful to watch. Sensational, mesmerising, exquisite. There are so many different synonyms I can use to describe it. Tom, and I, in the words of Deserby, balls, big balls. Bloody love that man. This is the way. Um, let's talk about that third goal. The the interplay for that third goal, just like the first, led up to the penalty. It was. I need to just do this with my hand because right. let's. Just, no, it was just intercept the development interception to start with. Beautiful. He gets the ball to Ferguson. The the back heel from Ferguson. The fact that March sent two West Ham players out of the bloody stadium. Beautiful. Gross. Bing. Back post. Matoma looks like it's going wide. He slides it in, and then he doesn't hit the pad. Oh my god! It was just exquisite. Right, Tom, this is going on YouTube, okay? That this this content is not allowed. Um yeah, absolutely phenomenal. Like we haven't even mentioned Devin Ferguson yet in the podcast. So let's do that now because that boy is friggin' unbelievable. But like, he led that line yesterday absolutely perfectly. Like the ball just sticks to him like a magnet and he drops deep, he links play, he's strong. Like he is the finished article and we we were getting excited about him when he scored against Arsenal and people were like, oh, don't get too ahead of yourselves. It's going to be another Connolly situation. No, this guy's mentality is top notch. This guy knows exactly what he wants out of his career and he's going to get it because, as I say, he, 18 years old, already the finished article and he can just get better. Just, just so, so good from the young lad and that flick through to Solly March and the West Ham players got sent to the beach. They got beaten by a beach again. You got beaten by a beach. Seagulls, peck your eyes out. <laughs> um, but yeah, there, there, there are no, there are no words to describe the football that we play. Exactly. Tom, this is the way Roberto does it. There honestly no words to describe the football we play. I've never seen us play such exquisite football, flawless football. And we talk about the Stoke game and there were, there were a few cobwebs, a few few rusty rusty passes here and there to come into a Premier League game <laughs> a few days later and, and play play the way we did. Fair play, Roberto you know, you know what? I, I, I'm right. starting to get a, a little bit worried from, from like Bournemouth onwards. I was like, okay, I, I felt like we kind of stepped off the gas a little. Um, so to do that yesterday, uh, it was it was kind of a relief to be honest. I mean, I, I I had the belief in the end that we would win it anyway, but I didn't think it would be by that margin. Matt, I think what's great is that we're getting reactions. I think under Potter, we 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 had to wait so long for a reaction uh, from the players, and we had such torrid runs here and there. Um, again, I'm not going to sit here and say that our time on the Graham Potter was awful because it wasn't. We we did have some really, really good games, blah, 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 blah. Um, but Roberto De Zerbi gets a reaction so quickly 
Um, and he's got it installed in the player that, look, if you want to get to your goals, if you want to um, achieve what we want to achieve this season, Fulham is unacceptable. Uh, playing the way we did against Bournemouth is unacceptable. I know we won these games. I know we play well against Fulham, but they're still unacceptable and they're unacceptable to, to Deserby. Even yesterday, he said the first half was fantastic. The second half was good, but we can still be better. I've never heard that from a Brighton manager before. Never. I think Gus Poyer was the only man I ever heard that from back in our League One days when we were romping to the League One title. And I think we'd just beaten a team 4-2. And obviously, like the post-match comments was like, we did, we conceded two. It's not good enough. He's like, you've just won, you know, 4-2. And he's like, no, it's not good enough. So I think it's just, I don't know, maybe it is like, um, I don't know, just that sort of mentality. And I think Deserby has that elite mentality. It's that, and he says it before, it's that chase for perfection. And we know that perfection is never going to happen, but it because it can't, it's impossible. However, it's that chase for it. And I think that's what sets the likes of De Zerbi and, and, and Pep Guardiola above so many others. You know, it's that constant pursuit of perfection um, that they want to achieve. And I think it's that that will make Robert, Roberto De Zerbi one of the best coaches in world football. And I'm going to be bold and say that. I think he could, he has every potential to go on and become one of the best managers in world football. Um, and I am absolutely here for it. And however long we may have him for, I just hope that we continue to see this wonderfulness because it is uh, it is beautiful. Um, and you want to talk about elite mentality. The first set of changes, um, <laughs> Evan Ferguson thinks he's going off. He's not. Um, he brings on Buenanote and Welbeck for Estupiñana March. And Gross goes to left back, which is wonderful. I'm here for it. <laughs> um, but Joe, what a bold, bold, bold move. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I honestly think Pascal Gross, there's only two positions he's not playing. That's centre-back and goalkeeper. The, the boy is versatility. Look up the definition of versatility. It'll say Pascal Gross. Um, I love that man so bloody much. Um, and I'm so happy that in the end of last season, um, he signed a new deal. We spoke about him a little bit, didn't we, Curtis, on our live stream, um, giving it the old uh, Pascal Gross love train um, and absolutely deserved. Um, but yeah, Bold is going f essentially 4-4-2 when you're 3-0 up at that point. Um, so like... Yeah, it explains a Zerbi to a T. There's not much more I can say on that. It's like, yeah, fair play. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And I'm, as I say, I keep saying that I'm absolutely here for it. I mean, eventually Evan Ferguson did give way. And, you know, I, we perhaps haven't given him the plaudits he deserved for that game yesterday, Curtis, because it was sensational uh, play from Evan Ferguson. You know, Joe's alluded to it, but... You know the, the ability to to come deep to, and then to to get in behind at times. He mixes mixes up his game so well. Um, <laughs> I've been having a little Twitter disagreement um, this afternoon with a new Thomas. Fan. Surely, surely not Thomas. You? I know. No, I do love a bit of a, a, a disagreement. I keep. I think I find it keeps my mind sharp. Um, I had a bit of a Twitter disagreement with a Newcastle fan who who thinks that they can get Evan Ferguson for ten million pounds. Um, and delusional isn't even the word, Curtis, but less about that delusion and more just about how fantastic Ferguson was. And, you know, Joe's had enough now, audio listeners, he's had enough. Um, you know, Matoma and Ferguson 
gave way for Sarmiento and Enciso yesterday. But Curtis, really quickly, how fantastic was Evan Ferguson yesterday? I mean, the, I, I so wish he got a goal. It really, really, really just rewarded that performance because he just was excellent. He just held up the ball. He was so unselfish as well, which was fantastic to see because, you know, you see some of these young talents that get the ball and they just really just want to, all they want to do is score, you know. But he was like feeding the ball to everyone and, oh, God, he's just a perfect team player. Uh, and we're so very, very lucky to have him. And um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, the, obviously there's going to be people out there that are complaining that he didn't score and everything else. But I'm, I'm glad to have a player that's that's that can do a bit of everything. You know, that that's willing to to pass out and assist things. And oh, it's just so fantastic. You see how important Harry Kane is for Spurs at times, and that is exactly what. Evan Ferguson gives us. There are games where Harry Kane doesn't score, but he's so influential to the attack. Um, and yeah, to have a, a player like that, as you say, Curtis, it does a bit of everything. Like he was dropping deep to receive the ball from Lewis Duncan Adam Webster a few times. Like that is ridiculous from a striker. And then to be up the other end when Matoma's run it down the pitch, the work rate is second to none. And he's quick as well. I think sometimes, you know, you forget how quick he is. And I think, you know, Johnny Cantor said as much on, you know, um, radio bbc radio sussex you know he said that actually over like a short distance he's pretty quick i think it's because he strides he strides like a gazelle it's not he doesn't run he's just got very long legs that's what i think it is i mean we've been crying out for a murray murray replacement for years um and it looks like we've got one and you know the fact that he's still a young man he's still got so much to learn bodes bodes very very well um, so yeah, fantastic game now, from Tom, him yesterday. You, you mentioned Murray, and I'm going to say this, but I don't mean it. But you don't mention Murray anymore, and the reason I say that is because a man, a myth, a legend was at the game yesterday. Before uh, before the game, they interviewed in pitch side Leonardo Ujoa. Like it was so special to see him back at the Amex, and I'm so happy that he got to see us absolutely thump West Ham four 0 in the Premier League. Um, and those players of the past are such a massive part. Um, of of why where we are today, um, and they are all part of the journey. So how good it was for the club to sort of recognise him, and he got to sort of clap the fans. I don't think we really got to say goodbye when he left on loan. Um, so yeah, so so good to see him. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for bringing that up, Joe. Because I think you know, as you say, a huge part. You know that 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 second season in the Championship with Ujoa Orlandi, Spanish Dave. You know, absolutely magical times. Um, and for a long time, Leonardo Ojoa was our record uh, sale to Leicester for about 10 million, 8 million, something like that. How times have changed. Um, you talk about, Curtis, um, the young guns and, you know, always wanting to score. Well, we finished the game with a fair few of our young guns on the pitch, the likes of Enciso, Sarmiento, Buonanotte. And it was the uh, the former Enciso that I'm going to talk about because he almost made it for with an absolutely exquisite curling effort that was heading to the top corner and it had, it took the West Ham keeper to make a fingertip save to push it on the bar. How special is Enciso's first senior goal for the club going to be? Because the fans seem to absolutely love him. I, I feel like he could have, but he, he could potentially be, do you remember when Basuma would score? It'd always be some mad screamer from like the midfield. That's what I feel like it's going to be for Enciso. Like when he starts scoring, it's just going to be some mad thing. Um, but um, I'm, 
you know, there's me earlier on talking about like selfish players. I'm not saying that Nciso is a selfish individual or whatever. And I think it's good that we have players that want to take those ambitious shots and things like that because goals can come from anywhere, seemingly. So um, he has just oodles of potential and he's so young. He's so young as well. And he has so much heart and drive and he's so quick and everything. And just the future is bright for Brighton and Albion. And I, you know, you're right. When that goal finally goes in for him, it's it's going to be it's going to be something special. Or it could be just like the most cheesy little, just scraped in goal. You, we'll see. We will see. I mean, Joe, we're bodying West Ham three nil, and Brighton bring on three South American wonder kids. I mean, you want to talk about swagger? To me, that's swagger in abundance. And it was one of those wonder kids that I suppose got the assist for our fourth. Buenanote feeds it into Welbeck. Welbeck, um, just powerful drive from the edge of the box, makes it 4-0. Um, you guys in the North Stand must have been absolutely bouncing. I can't tell you how bloody good it was, Tom. Um, just to mention Buenanote, we mentioned it on the live stream, but I'll mention it again. Uh, 18 years old, just turned 18, got called up to the Argentinian national squad senior team, a team that have just won the World Cup four months ago. Uh, he's going to be playing alongside Lionel Messi, Angel Di Maria, uh, Alexis McAllister, of course. Um, what uh, a special uh, accolade for him. Um, and to get an assist in the Premier League, um, fantastic. Really good. All, all assists count. All, all the all those little niggly stats count. Um and Danny Welbeck does what Danny Welbeck does. Um, I thought, by the way, Danny Welbeck was finished, guys. I I I remember someone or or a few people uh, on social media saying that Danny Welbeck isn't good enough for the Premier League anymore. Um, I just want to remind you that he scored an absolute wonder goal against Liverpool. Liverpool, by the way. Um, and that goal yesterday, I didn't realise how good that goal was until I watched it back on the highlights. Um He's still got it. He has. Yeah. He doesn't score many, but, you know, he still he still brings so much. And it wasn't that long ago, earlier in the season, that we were saying we looked poor, poor, poor without him. And it's just because of the emergence of Evan Ferguson, perhaps, that, you know, he does, unfortunately, well, I say unfortunately, unfortunately, depending on your point of view, you know, he, he's a fantastic player to have come off the bench, that experience to see a game out. Not that we perhaps needed it being 3-0 up. You sort of get the point. Um, but Curtis, that fourth goal means that we have now scored 43 goals this season. You know me, I love a stat. 43 goals so far this season with 15 games left to play. Um, that's one more than our best total in any previous Premier League seasons. Manipulation. How, well, no, manipulation of stats. Um, but Curtis, how phenomenal is that? 23 games into the season and we've scored... One more goal with 23 games in than we did in all of our Premier League seasons previous. How fantastic is this? I mean, if you told me this last year, I wouldn't have believed you, period. Um, but by the way, have we even spoken about the third goal yet? Matoma's goal. Did we talk about that? We did, I think we, we? Sort of, we glossed over it because we were talking yeah. about how good Evan yeah, yeah. did was. <laughs> OK, but, but either way... Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, it's it's amazing to see the output that we, we've been able to to to, to do under Deserby. I mean, I th- I think we we could score bags for more. I mean, before the end of the season, which is like really exciting. Um, we, you know, we have the possibility of smashing a lot of our records, which is very very cool, very very amazing to witness. And I, you know, it's just amazing to be a Brighton fan at the moment. 
Yeah, really, really excited. I love that there's so much good stuff to talk about in this podcast that we've literally glossed over the fact that Matoma, like slid in to to, to, to be finish fair, Pascal I, Gross. I, I, I did I did give a blow by blow account of what well, I, I I know, but we do we didn't talk about Matoma as a whole. But I'm saying it's good, Tom. Like there's so many good things yeah, that happen. Like, you were talking like, about a good thing what when you went. How good is Ferguson? <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, by the way, was was Pascal Gross shooting, or did he mean that pass? No, oh, he meant that Pascal Gross yeah, is so intelligent. He, he knew he knew what he was doing. Yeah. Um, Jay, you know, you've rightfully said, you know, there was so much to talk about in that second half because I, I can't I can't say it enough. It was scintillating football. Um, Joe, in your opinion, was that the best 45 minutes that we've seen at home in the Premier League year? I mean, just let's put it in the context. We've already mentioned his name, Declan Rice. Uh, many value him as about a hundred million pound player, one of the best midfielders in the league. This is what he had to say post-match. They played us off the pitch. To be out there, it was demoralising. To stand there, to try and defend and see them keep the ball. How good were we in that second half, Joe? Just how good were we? I can't help but smile when I hear that Declan Rice quote. Um, I just want to say it. I want to put it out there because we've sort of shat on Declan Rice a little bit here um, in terms of like uh, how good people say he is and how rubbish he was yesterday. To be that honest... After a four nil drubbing, um, he could have made any excuse under the sun. He could have, but he's come out. He, he said Brighton were flipping brilliant, and that's why we lost. Um, and I've got a lot of respect for Declan Rice. I think that's really good. And I I watched the interview yesterday after the game when I got home, and I was like, fair play, like that is brilliant. Um, but oh, is is it the best forty five? I think it's the best ninety. I, I don't I don't think it. It's up there with the the atmosphere of of the Chelsea game or beating United four nil. Those those ones were, and again I'm talking like a four nil win against West Ham in the Premier League isn't special. It absolutely is, but there was so much more meaning behind the Chelsea game. Um, in terms of football, yes, that was our best game. It was perfect. High praise indeed. We don't use the P word very often, but uh, perfect is a um, yeah. I, I'm I I don't quite have the uh, the bar of <laughs> Roberto De Zerbi, but in my opinion, that that was the perfect game. That would be that sort of thing that we you know when we joke about you know, the De Zerbi masterclass. That was very very close, if not a De Zerbi masterclass last uh, yesterday. And I mean, again, it's it's a testament that we that we're going like. Oh, was that one of our best performances? You know, like we've had a few at the Amex this season and some really good bits of play. And it's cool that we can look back on it now and compare this to one of those. It's very, very just fantastic. I don't have any, I don't have enough words to just say how great you both today. And, and, and it's so exciting that there's more to come as well. There is from this squad, like we're, we're, we're going places and something special is brewing. And, and I'm, as we Tom are, said, Europe maybe fully, fully here for it. And yeah, as Curtis said, as said many times throughout this podcast, what an unbelievably special time to be a fan of this club. And let's all talk about something special. We've, we've already chatted about it a little bit, but I, I want to bring it back to, you know, that, that one of the first things we talked about, which was the bold call to drop Robert Sanchez and pick Jason Steele. Cause you want to talk about special. Um, you know, we 
Roberto De Zerbi's post-match comments were saying that, you know, for, at the moment, Jason Steele's in better form and he's closer to the way Roberto De Zerbi wants to play. Now, when we first signed him from Sunderland, many at the time couldn't believe what we had done. You know, Jason Steele, Sunderland till I die. What on earth are we doing? Um, I'd never thought that Jason Steele would be, not only would he be pushing for the number one spot, but also pushing for the number one spot while we're simultaneously pushing for Europe. You want to talk about special. That for me is, is, is monumental. And he works so hard. We know he works so hard. So many, you know, Chrissy Hewton, Graham Potter, Roberto De Zerbi have all, you know, passed comment about how professional he is, how brilliant he is. And I think there was just something remarkably special about giving him his second Premier League, um, cap yesterday for us and just the fact that he kept a clean sheet was just it was wonderful wonderful thing to see um so joe just um next game who who keeps the gloves is it steely yeah absolutely he's not done anything to to lose his place um and you you probably argue that sanchez done more to lose his place after the palace game but he, he still kept it um, and absolutely, it has to be Jason still. Um, the, the guy, as we said, is so professional. He deserves to be rewarded um, until his performance levels drop, until Sanchez's performance in, in training um, gets better and, and is makes him worthy of a start. That's when still loses his spot. But at the moment, you, you have, on that performance, you cannot drop Jason still. How about you, Curtis? Do you feel the same as Joe? Um, first things first, I do want to say that I feel like a goalkeeper is a sort of kind of a lonely position out there. I feel like all the other players on the pitch get a lot of plaudits, but no one really ever talks about how good goalkeeping performances are and how, how good the goal, a goalkeeper really, really is. You know, we talk about the goals and the midfield and everything else, but I think we have to just, just talk about how good, how solid Steele was yesterday, how good, how solid Sanchez can be as well, you know. Um, and again, as I've mentioned, I feel like healthy competition fosters fight. It fosters uh, fire. Um, so, I, in my opinion, I think Steele keeps keeps the gloves, and maybe even Sanchez plays in the cup game. Just my opinion. No, I think um, that's the most logical thing. He's done nothing to worthy of being dropped. So, you know, you don't change that um, winning team. Um, oh, I suppose now, guys, it's time to pick our players of the match. Um, tough one considering the amount of fantastic performances there were on that pitch yesterday uh, but Joe I'm going to come to you first um, who stood out for you who was your player of the match now I would absolutely love to give it to Jason still I really would um, but I'm not going to um, I'm going to give it to young Evan Ferguson and um, because as I say he ran that line so professionally it honestly was like having the best striker one of the best strikers in the world up there leading the line. So intelligent, everything perfect. There wasn't any times where I was saying, oh, for God's sake, Ferguson, like everything was perfect. Um, and as Curtis said, it would have been so good for him to to cap that performance with a goal. Um, but everything else he'd done, he was so instrumental to, to so many piece, uh, passages of play um, that got us our rewards. And so I'll give him the reward of the Joe Sayers Albion Obsessed Man of the Match. There you go, Evan. <laughs> How about you, Curtis? Who um, who was your player of the match yesterday? 
tricky because there's uh, quite a few players I could give that to. I thought Matoma had a great game down that down that side. He he was running running them ragged down there. Um, I probably have to give it to Caicedo. You know, he he looked really refreshed out there. He looked up for it. He had a lot of fight. Um, made some like key interceptions and things yesterday. But I, I agree with Joe. I mean, I, I could have easily given it to Ferguson as as well. Um, but again, it's that luxury we have that I could I could give that to an, any any few players out there, really. So, But I would have to give it to Caicedo, I think. What about yourself, Tom? I'm right there with you, Curtis. I thought Caicedo put in a world-class performance yesterday. I thought he was phenomenal. Um, I think the bit that some... I mean, there was loads of fantastic bits of, of play in that game. But the bit that, that really just made me go, wow... Um, was in the second half. We were playing it out from the back. Uh, Steele passed it to Dunk and then Dunk passed it back to Caicedo, who I think was just inside our box. And the way he just turned two West Ham players to to get us up the pitch. World class. Phenomenal. Can I mention yeah. as well, Purvis Estupinian, easily the best left back we've ever had, hands down. Like, we, we're not spoken about him really on this podcast. Um, and the, the, the simple line is, Purvis is stupid, yeah. That's it. That it's is it. Like, like we don't really have to at this point because we just know he's always, he's usually just always so good. So, so good. I mean, he struggled a little bit at first, but like, it's, it's, it's almost like overnight he's just become so good for us. And again, he's just the guy that always starts for me. He's always on the team sheet. I feel like the World Cup sort of revitalised him. He, he played really well at the World Cup. He's come back and he's been so bloody good. Um, and as I say, easily up there with, well, is is the best left back we've ever had. Um, in, in, in the time that I've been watching anyway, that people will, will reference players from the past, like when I before I was born, but really is Purvis Azubinian for me. Yeah, I think um, the best left back I've ever seen us have before Purvis was probably Wayne Bridge. And obviously, when you talk about the level we were playing at then, obviously, you've got to take that into sort of consideration. Um, but no, Purvis is phenomenal. I, I, he, the, as I said so many times, that performance yesterday was just a masterclass um, all over the pitch. And I think the only position that isn't nailed down, perhaps, is that right back, because it's just whether you want Veltman or Lamptey. Um, and, and, you know, I think the rest of the team just picks itself at the moment sensational stuff sensational stuff so let's look ahead then because our next game next weekend i believe is against the leeds united um so leeds in a bit of a um downturn at the moment they are they they set jesse marsh and they've just lost to chelsea who loses to chelsea um he says oh crap why did i say that man i'm sorry boys i've jinxed it um if you believe in such things. Um, but no, in reality, you know, we're going to go to Leeds um, and it's going to be an interesting game because obviously Leeds are in a bit of a, a bit of turmoil at the moment, uh, at the wrong end of the table for them. But Joe, do you see another deserving masterclass incoming? Uh, I'd like to, but Ellen Road is an unbelievably tough place to go. And I think we'd be kidding ourselves if we didn't say that. Uh, we thought it was a nailed-on win at the end of last season uh, when they were fighting relegation. And we were looking okay and then conceded at the end. And that, that's what Leeds do. They keep fighting to the end. And especially at their stadium, the, fact the fans are always going to push them right to the very limits and right to the final whistle. Um, and we've got to be prepared for that. Um, I think the players will be pre prepared for that. And we can't be going into that game in a better place. <laughs> keeping a clean sheet, scoring four goals, 
Um, so the, the odds are in our favor if you look at all, all the stats and, and go with gambling odds. But I, I on, on paper, it's not going to be easy. It, it won't be. Uh, but I do think we, we'll come away with a positive performance. And if you want the score prediction, Tom, I will go with 3-0 to the Albion, please, with an Evan Ferguson hat-trick. Not asking for much, Ned. Not asking for much. But no, I'm here for it. I love the positivity, Curtis. As our resident optimist, um, how are you? How do you see the game against Leeds panning out? Yeah, it'll be a tricky one. Usually, always a bit of a, a bit of a cagey one when we go to Leeds. Um, although I am feeling confident, I feel like uh, yesterday's game will have put a, a fire under all of them, you know. And I feel like they they're gonna they're gonna feel like they can take something from Leeds, and so do I. Uh, I feel like. Um, Probably a 2-1 win. I, I'm confident of winning, uh, but I feel like they will score against us. But goal scorers, um, Ferguson, yeah, uh, and uh, Solly March. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Um, yeah, I think you, you're both right in saying that, you know, it will be a tricky game. I know that Leeds will want a reaction after losing to Chelsea. Um, so they are going to want to see their team bounce back. Um, but I too also believe that we've got enough um, to to come away with the three points. So I'm going to go with a two nil win uh, with goals coming from Solly March and Pascal Gross, because I think Pascal was excellent yesterday as well. Another player that we've just sort of you know glossed over a little bit because of just how many wonderful performances there were yesterday. But listeners, viewers, please let us know your thoughts in the comments section down below. Who gets the gloves? Is it Jason Steele or Robert Sanchez? Who was your man of the match? And what is your score prediction against Leeds? Please do let us know. We love to hear from you. Um, before I do my usual sign-off, uh, any other plugs to be had, lads? Because um, recently I've been talking and then you go, oh, but Tom. Yes, um, oh, but Tom. Um, we are five subscribers away from 500 subscribers. And so if you haven't done so yet, do uh, press that button down there somewhere, somewhere below Curtis. Curtis, if you would guide them to the uh, the subscribe button some, somewhere down there, um, help us on our way to 500. We really appreciate um, all of the support. Um, we recently hit 40,000 views across all platforms, including audio listens and YouTube watches. So that is mind blowing. Um, so yeah, really thank you all for, for listening, watching, getting involved, uh, sending us your tweets is really brilliant. Um, and Curtis plug TikTok. Oh, Tom. Uh, so I am the, the TikTok man. I, I, I uh, deal with that dirty side of the internet. Um, we have just hit 120 followers over there. So thank you very, very much uh, for your support. And thank you for your lovely comments and, and, and feedback. You know, we, we wouldn't be doing what we do without you guys. So thank you very, very much. Um, but if you can, if you could uh, follow us on there, uh, you know, we'll have like sound bites, little clips from the pods go up there, and I tend to do uh, game reactions afterwards and the next day usually. So head on over to TikTok and follow us there. Thank you very much, gentlemen, and and thank you to you for listening. It's this hour has flown by. It always does when we have to talk about a victory. So hopefully you've enjoyed this episode of the Albion Obsessed podcast. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe for more content if you haven't done so already. Until next time, we'll be keeping it real wherever you may be, whenever you may be. Take care. Mm-hmm.